Our scripture reading today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Amen. Um, so today is our third and final installment of our uh, current message series on hope, and also the last of the three opening series of 2021 on faith, hope, and love uh, based on our church key verses. Uh, we could have gone, of course, in many different directions concerning these uh, three virtues. I tried to stick to uh, faith as unconditional trust in God, love as mutual covenantal love for each other, and the hope of salvation as something we have been charged with uh, by God uh, to share with an otherwise hopeless world. Uh, to that end, two Sundays ago, uh, we examined uh, what are the common avenues of hope that uh, people rely on in this world? Uh, and then using the uh, diatribe by the field commander of Sennacherib's army, um, he dismantled all those common uh, ways in which people hope um, in this world. Um, last week, uh, we looked at the, uh, the preaching uh, slash offering of hope um, made by Paul in his speech to the uh, Areopagus in Athens. Uh, we contrasted Paul's hope uh, through revelation, the revelation of God, with hope approached um, via human reason or hope pursued through optimism for the new, for the better, for the unknown. Right? Um, and even though hope tends to spring eternal, uh, in the human spirit, uh, only a hope really grounded in God's faithfulness, I think, is truly valid. Um, so as I was doing this series, I noticed uh, I kind of, uh, a little bit unintentionally or without planning it, I've been engaging in kind of like, <laughs> if you will, in apologetics of hope, right? 
Um, what I mean is that um, the messages have tend to show why hope is superior, right? Superior uh, to all other worldly hopes. When you kind of look at them side by side, you know, all the worldly hopes seem so minuscule, so uh, ineffective, so precarious compared to uh, divine hope. So I'm going to continue in that vein today by um, using Apostle Peter's letter, which talks about the living hope, right? the living hope that God has birthed in the hearts and minds of believers. And what's so great about that living hope? Uh, in particular, I'd like to emphasize its enduring nature, right? this enduring hope, this hope survives, this hope inspires endurance as well. Right? It engenders more endurance. So my sermon title uh, simply duplicates the phrase that Paul uses in or employs in 1 Thessalonians 1. Endurance inspired by hope. That's the title. Uh, maybe you noticed that with each of the Faith and Love series, I was able to uh, title both first messages uh, with its corresponding Pauline phrase, right? You know, work produced by faith, love prompted by, labor prompted by love. Well, for hope, that didn't quite work out. I had to wait until the end, right? So I want to wrap it up, um, try to wrap it up um, in that manner. So endurance or enduring then will be our organizing theme for the sermon. Um, I'd like to trace that theme uh, as it appears in our passage. So this is kind of uh, the next slide will show kind of how I, I'm breaking up this, uh, this, uh, these verses. So uh, first, the object of hope, right? What's our destination? What's our, what's our final goal, right? And it's heaven, right? Heaven is going to be the place we're hoping for. It's going to be the experience, the state that we're going to find ourselves in. That's the ultimate, right? So verses 3 to 5 talk about that. And then I want to talk about the value of the hope, the quality of hope, right? Um, when certain hopes occur in our life, they're, they have a very short shelf life, as we say. They don't last very long because they're not very substantive, right? They're just kind of flighty, just kind of, you know, wishful thinking. They're not real hope. But the hope in Christ, the hope of heaven, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about that it's valuable because it's tested. Tested by trials, tested by suffering, tested by difficulties and adversity. And because it survives, because it grows stronger as a result of that suffering, it's going to show its enduring value. So that's verses 6 to 9. And then um, looking at the prophets, right, of the Old Testament, how they pursued, how they desired, how their, the, the, the desire of their hearts was to find out more about Jesus, about the Messiah, right? And how they weren't allowed to receive everything. They weren't allowed to be eyewitnesses of the Messiah. They were told to wait. They were told to wait until others, right? All others would themselves gain this hope, themselves embrace this hope themselves join in this hope. So the idea of solidarity, solidarity, that you have this hope, I have this hope, we have this hope, right? I think that's what Paul, Peter 
is emphasizing here in verses 10 to 12. Okay, so let me launch in. The first aspect of endurance relates to the everlasting nature of the final object of Christian hope. In verse 4, Paul declares that our living hope in Christ will arrive at the final landing place of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. So the hope of heaven, um, the goal of salvation, the inheritance of an unending relationship with God. Now, these are all synonymous ways to understand the ultimate hope of a Christian. What Paul is emphasizing is the indestructibility of that final destination or state. It can never perish. Right? We can't destruct it. It can never spoil. It's never going to be corrupted. Uh, it'll never fade. It's not going to decay. We might add, you can't be stolen. It can't be deprived. It can't be withdrawn. It can't be altered. Right? That's how secure. That's how real. That's how um, enduring uh, the hope of heaven is. Now, these uh, three particular degradations found in verse 4, right? It's visited upon every living thing. Living things, unless sustained artificially, will spoil. The carbon that forms life also decays and creates rot and dissolution. Everything fades. Nothing can maintain its luster or its form indefinitely. With enough passing of time, molecules break down and entropy prevails. Most things also depreciate, or at least cannot guarantee a consistent value. Now, diametrically, heaven and hope, right? Heaven and its hope are forever durable. In fact, uh, God's promised fulfillment of eternal life uh, is really the most assured thing in the scriptures outside of the unchanging nature of God. What I'm saying is, if you look at what's promised most in the Bible, it's this hope of heaven, hope of eternal life, right? It's, it doesn't change. It doesn't get altered. It doesn't get threatened, right? That's how secure it is. It, 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 it's, mo- it's most, in my mind, the most assured thing other than the fact that God, his nature does not change. And, 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 and the reason that eternal life is so securely guaranteed is that that promise is, of course, grounded in that unchanging character of God. So I want to say it this way. The Christian hope actually supersedes um, all other Christian hopes. Supersede. Right? It, it, it kind of, uh, it stands as the highest and greatest. Or, or maybe better is to say it subsumes. It kind of absorbs all other um, Christian hopes. Think about it, no matter how great uh, any other kind of hope is, it's only temporary. Without the hope of eternal life, everything comes down, everything ends, everything reaches a terminus. Sometimes it can come spectacularly crashing down. Indeed, heaven's eternality is the only place our lesser Christian hopes can be fully realized, right? So, like, we hope for security, for safety. And heaven, where God reigns absolutely, that's the safest place to be. That's the only real security we can have. We hope for an end to suffering, right? We don't want to see suffering. We don't want to see tears, people weeping in in grief anymore. Um, Heaven, where 
the book of Revelation teaches, right? That's where God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no tears in heaven. So heaven represents um, the, the context, right? The soil of where our, even our individual, more unique, uh, smaller hopes, um, that can be realized. And if there is no eternal life, then I think all those hopes are actually misplaced because they can come to an end. So even if our lesser Christian hopes are subsumed by the hope of heaven, how much more do our merely worldly hopes, that they are inferior in quality uh, and worth? Right? So hope of financial uh, security, for example, in our retirement years, let's say. No matter how much money we've saved, or the strength of our pecuniary instruments that we invest in, or the savvy of our financial advisors, there is no surefire thing, right? Even Warren Buffett can make a rare mistake. Read one media headline <laughs> this past week. Or take the COVID-19 vaccine, right? That's a really good thing. I believe there's uh, certainly signs of at least a cautious hope that uh, this will curb the pandemic. But notice the constant worry about variants, right? And the probability that another virus in the future being quite likely. So we wouldn't want, we couldn't ground our deepest hopes in some elusive ability, right? To advance medical science far enough to render any and all disease harmless. We can't do that. That, that to me would be nonsensical, right? So all worldly hopes, all lesser Christian hopes, they can all find, right? They're superseded, they're subsumed, I think, by the Christian hope. And there's the power of death itself. You know, everything that we hope for in this life will be extinguished when death comes. This demise can be to the hoper, the person who's hoping, or it can be of the structure, the institution, the object to which the hope is directed. Right? Even like an extinction level event is not beyond the realm of plausibility, right? No, heaven forbid. But what I'm saying is that only something that can survive or exceed physical death can be considered worthy of our ultimate hope. That's why Christian hope triumphs over all others. It outlasts death. That's the Christian message. Christian hope actually overcame the grave, which is why Peter highlights the resurrection. Right? Otherwise, even Christian hope, I think, would have some inherent limits. But it does. It has no bounds because our hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope killer. Death is the hope killer. Well, what did Jesus do in the resurrection? He put to death death. Right? He killed death, if you will. And therefore, when Peter says we have a living hope, he's absolutely right. And our hope is alive, and it will continue to survive. And nothing else is quite alive in the same way as Christian hope is. Everything else is contingent, it's dependent, it's conditional. Only hope that cannot be smothered by death can boast to be a living hope. And Christian hope is an eternal living hope kept in heaven uh, for us. All right. The second uh, aspect of enduring hope that I think Peter writes about has to do with suffering. 
Uh, numerous scholars conclude that suffering is probably one of, if not the main theme in Peter's first epistle. Not only the suffering of Christ, but that of all believers who seek to follow in his steps, as Peter puts it in chapter 221. Uh, Peter's community has undergone all kinds of trials for their faith. And he teaches that these trials are not random or meaningless. Rather, they're meant to test the quality of a person's faith or a community's faith. And he employs a metallurgical analogy. Right? The customary way to refine the purity of gold uh, is to heat it at very high temperatures. Right? Impure metal right, is a lighter in composition and weight, and, and therefore it evaporates right, when you heat it. It evaporates off, while heavier, more precious metal, it kind of sinks to the bottom. It congeals on the bottom. And then you take what's left and you purify it even more. You fire it up uh, hotter and hotter. So uh, trials, persecution, suffering, these all serve a similar function in the Christian life. Yeah, Job, right? The great Job talks about his suffering in this way. In 23.10, he says, when he has tested me, when God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Right? So he sees his suffering as a test. And the result is that he's going to become golden. Right? He's going to become deeper. He's going to become more godly. Yeah, so trials can refine us, separating out the dross from the more precious spiritual substances. Right? Testing has a proving effect to reveal whether our relationship with God is genuine or not, right? If we survive the test, right, then the result is joy. Yeah, Peter says we're to rejoice and to us and then praise, honor, glory uh, to Christ. Okay? So suffering takes on some meaning in Peter's theology here. He actually takes the illustration one step further and says that even though gold, even gold, precious gold, eventually melts, right? Though it has been refined. But our faith, which is of greater worth than gold, when it successfully passes through the trials, it's even more important. It's even more significant, right? The key, the key concept in my mind is it's more valuable. So what suffering reveals, why suffering leads to enduring hope is because it demonstrates how valuable, how precious uh, our hope is. Testing demonstrates how something, how important, how valuable something is. If under pressure, you know, something collapses, something breaks, something fades or, or dissipates, then it wasn't quality, made of good quality. It wasn't worth investing our time. It wasn't worth putting our hope in the first place. You know what I'm saying? You know, the, the pandemic, uh, you know, because we haven't been able to go shopping and stuff, it's probably caused, you know, most of us to buy things online, right? So, you know, ergo, so many uh, online companies have done so well. Um, and, you know, we'll pay, you know, typically pay more money for something of greater quality, but stuff you can't tell just by looking on a two-dimensional screen if something is really sturdy or not. You could actually physically examine the item. Like we, we bought some, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, 
something for church for the in-person services and it broke within like a month because it looked good on on amazon prime but once we got it it was pretty flimsy material and so we had to buy another thing we had to waste money and do that because you didn't actually get to kind of shake it and, and hold it like that so what do you do you rely on reviews right or if they have like a testing protocol like extensive testing can tell you how much quality how sturdy how valuable right something is so um, Namona and I, we used to own a, a certain chair from Ikea, right? It's kind of a lounge chair. It's called a poang. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, poang. Um, but it, it, the design is kind of weird, right? It's made out of, like, it's not like, doesn't have, like, these four legs or any sort of solid base. It's kind of like, if, you, if you've seen, it's kind of a laminate that has two legs that, like, angle down, like, it curves down. It's kind of bouncy. Right? So I feel like if you put too much weight on it, it would snap, right? And so Mona uh, reminded me that, you know, Ikea does a lot of testing on these, uh, on these, on all of their products, right? They, they call it severe quality tests. We put uh, things in development under five durability tests simulating a seated person moving in different directions. These tests press the chair 260,000 times from you know up to like 240 pounds right? and and so you know there's a there's, she said that there's a display case and i saw it on youtube i, I wish i could show it look it up later um, but they have this display case where they show what the testing is so they you know have these like metal like pounders that are pushing down letting go stretching pushing down, and it, you can watch it being tested if you're in the showroom right or, or at, at ikea Without that kind of test, you're not, you can't be, you know, confident that it's going to, right, result in, it's not, it's worth buying, right? The value of it is questionable. But because it's gone through, you can go, go see it. And, you know, we, we gave it away eventually, but it, it never broke, right? no matter how many times I sat on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like what Ikea says, quality testing is part of the Ikea promise of beautiful form, practical function, and an affordable price. Well, that sounds like a, like a good description of Christians. <laughs> Beautiful form, <laughs> practical function, and uh, affordable, no, just you know, normal price. Like jars of clay, as um, Paul says in Second Corinthians. Now, technically speaking, in this section, or this middle section, Peter's talking about faith proven through trials, right? faith. But I think hope, uh, hope and faith have some overlap. And so the principle can be applied to our evaluation of our hopes. Right? Do our hopes survive tests? Does it survive trials and setbacks? If you, if you give up on your hope very easily, not a very good hope, not a very strong hope, not a very quality hope to begin with. It's a pipe dream. It's a fantasy. It's right? so only those hopes that endure through thick and thin are worth our investment and our sustained interest, right? Only real hopes, only valuable hopes can withstand prolonged discouragement or disappointment. Yeah, yeah. I think if your hope it doesn't endure, if it's not durable, you know, uh, discard it, let it go, right? Or, or quit hanging on to it to your own detriment. I was thinking about like gamblers, right? If you think about the psyche of a gambler, and I'm I'm generalizing quite quite a bit, but you know, gamblers uh, sometimes they um, 
you know, they become addicted to gambling because there's this hope that they're one day going to hit it big, right? That if they lose now, if they keep at it or if they find a new technique or, you know, <laughs> when I was younger, my friend was trying to tell me, what you do is you go to black, go play blackjack and every time you lose, you double your bet because eventually you're going to win. And you're gonna get like that was his hope, right? That was, that was his way of kind of, you know, gaming the system, beating the system. Right? But you know how many lives can be ruined by the, this hope that you're going to strike it rich right, through the process of gambling. I think if only mentalities like that, if only I you know, met the right person, if only I had the right job, if only I had the right childhood, if only I had the right friend, you know, if I had a different circumstances, different environment, right? if, if, if my life was different, you know, I'd be really great. I'd be really happy. To me, those are not the kind of valuable hopes, right? The possibilities of, of something doesn't warrant necessarily right, our confidence to be placed in it. Yeah, Christian hope to me is of the highest value because under suffering, it actually doesn't need to break. It, it can grow stronger. It can be sturdier. It can... Uh, shine forth even more. That's Peter's point. Suffering can strengthen us. Right? Among Jesus' greatness uh, is his exemplary handling of the worst kinds of agonies and sufferings that were thrown at him. And during his passion, he actually seemed to grow more and more powerful. Uh, even in, this, in his death, there was unbelievable power and strength. And then the resurrection and the ascension made it obvious uh, to all. And for us, trial by suffering can empower us in many ways. When you survive something, when your hope endures, right? We're going to cherish, we're going to appreciate that more because we had to pray, pay a high price for it. We won't sell it off. We won't squander it. We won't neglect it. We won't give it away. These deepened character, the testimonies that come from that, that emerge out of the suffering, they're ours, right? They're going to endure. Yeah. So when trials, when fires, when persecution, when suffering comes our way, let's not um, give up. Yeah. Let's not crumble. Let's not buckle. Yeah. Let's prove that our hope is of the, of the higher values. Right? Fires can purge or prune our attention. We already talked about false hopes. Suffering can break our pride and self-reliance. It can bring us closer to sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Yeah. Suffering can uh, help us cling tighter uh, to the hope of heaven more desperately than ever uh, before. Right? Without the heat, without the fire of distress, our love can grow cold, says one writer. Okay, so we've talked about the enduring hope of heaven. We talked about the enduring value of that hope because it survives, can survive testing. So the last aspect of endurance or enduring relating to hope that I want to talk about from this section of Apostle Paul's letter has to do with what I'm calling desire, right? desire or searching or pursuit, right? Uh, Peter reaches far back into the annals of biblical history to reference the patient hope 
uh, that characterized the prophets of old. Right? These people of God desired to know about God's amazing plan of salvation, and, and apparently so did the angels. Uh, but the prophets searched the scriptures, high and low, for as much detail about the Messiah they could find. Right? Now, these biblical figures were themselves going through difficult times and circumstances, um, but they persevered, holding on to the hints, the guideposts that God provided, even though they were few and far between. Uh, these insights somehow provided enough hope for these people to soldier on. But through their searching, uh, God uh, revealed to them that it, they weren't going to get to see everything. They weren't going to be an eyewitness uh, to the Messiah. Right? In fact, all of their desires, all of their labor, all of their working wasn't really about them. It wasn't to serve themselves. It wasn't to gratify them or even the people of Israel. Right? It would be for all who would believe in the Lord, all who would put their hope in Christ. Uh, despite this you know, realization, they did, their strength did not flag. They did not give up. Their hope, they decided, hey, we're just pointers. We're just part of the process. Yeah, we're just telling others about that hope so that they, in turn, right, can tell others about that hope. And they were willing to wait patiently along with everyone else. Now, I think a similar description is given in the book of Hebrews. When the author talks about how various people who lived by faith were given only partial fulfillment of the promises of God made to them, not everything. For the full fulfillment, they would simply have to wait. So uh, let me read, uh, let's read from Hebrews 11.39. Uh, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would, the, would they be made perfect. Yeah, there's this kind of commonality, this communal element. Right? I'm calling it solidarity. I like that word. Sounds like a, you know, a labor movement <laughs> or you know, maybe a political science word, but solidarity. Right? That others are coming together. There are more to add to the community of hope, in other words. Right? That share a similar desire. Right? And that causes the, the, the movement to grow, causes the, the joy to expand, causes the solidity to grow strong. Right? You know, the Christian hope is not only uh, intensely personal, but powerfully uh, communal. Yeah, it's to be shared in solidarity. It's to be shared with all, especially those who lack real hope. Yeah, think about it as the uh, hope was transmitted from generation to generation. It encompassed the Old Testament guys. It encompassed Peter's readers and everybody of faith in between. From Abraham to his descendants to Israel. Um, and then to the church, right? And then to you and me in the 21st century, former COVID capital of the world, New York City. That's the same hope they had is now the hope that we can share in this glorious, this communal solidarity of hope. Yeah, Christian hope is grander, it's broader, it's longer than 
even the Old Testament prophets could possibly have imagined. This hope has endured seasons of time, the destruction of wars, differences of language and culture, the revolutions within human societies, and the rise and fall of innumerable lesser hopes. Christian hope can shine more brightly and beautifully than ever, even through us, even at this time. Uh, recall Peter's phrase, or Paul's phrase, right? Endurance inspired by hope, that's our title, right? I feel that the solidarity of hope um, that sh is shared amongst others, that actually has an inspirational, it can have an inspirational, uh, a kind of an uplifting aspect regarding endurance. So when I think about those who have endured in their hope, like those people in Hebrews, right, or the Old Testament prophets, right, or even Peter's day, their, their persecution, right, those who were persecuted through the ages, across the continents, and in all sorts of trials, right, I'm emboldened to keep up my hoping. You know, even in our church, right? Today, actually, uh, I'll just say it briefly, is uh, it was, it's a 40th anniversary of the parent ministry, which, a lot, which planted, right, Compass Fellowship Church. That started 40 years ago in California, right? I actually joined in like 37 or 38 years ago, I realized, right? That's a long, long time. And... As I think back about those, right, the people that I interacted with and learned from and grew with, and et cetera, you know, if you kind of think about that, that kind of like connection, connectivity, yeah, I, you're, I think it, it should inspire endurance, right? We stand on the shoulders of others. You guys stand on, you know, each other's shoulders. And, you know, the generation after us are the people that we're going to share the hope of Christ with. They're going to stand on our shoulders. It is, a, I think, a very winsome picture of inspired endurance, uh, hope inspiring that. You know, we, uh, even in our mission church in uh, Thailand, Bangkok, you know, we experienced something like this uh, very recently. Right? So there's a, uh, a number of Pakistani refugees, religious uh, People who were religiously persecuted from, you know, their 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 home country, that fled, right? That fled from wherever they were. Uh, uh, there's quite a few from Pakistan and, and and are in Thailand, but they're there illegally. They overstayed their visitors uh, visa, and so they uh, are, have applied. A lot of them apply to the you know, asylum through the United Nations. A lot of them get rejected. Some get, you know, accepted and moved to another country, relocated uh, and stuff. But throughout that time, before they get, like, actually approved and, and, and moved to another country, they're under the threat of being arrested, sent into the immigrant detention center. Uh, it, it's, it's actually kind of a very harrowing existence. And I'm not going to use a name, but there's been one family that uh, came seven years ago because they were, you know, under the threat of lot, uh, their safety and, and under the threat of death where they were. And they came to Bangkok, right? And um, I think it's been about a year and a half, a little bit longer. They started coming to our, uh, our, our, our Bangkok church, right? And, um, you know, I've met them personally, and they're really, they're, it's a big family and all that. And they've applied for this kind of asylum and stuff. And they actually got an interview one year ago. 
right? This church, big church in Canada, uh, 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 accepted or, or they uh, committed to sponsor them, their move over there. And so you have to go through this entire process, all these legal checks and interviews and all that kind of stuff. And they got the interview a year ago, and you know we prayed for that, and you know we're all hopeful, right? They had already waited five and a half years for it. Um, or six years. But thereafter, there was no news. Right? They kept checking, they kept asking. People were praying. Pastor Johnny and you used to talk to them every week about this and you know, pray for them and encourage them. But things got like longer and longer. And you know, it could be very challenging, right? They're 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 believers, of course. They're being persecuted, they were being persecuted because of their Christian faith, right? And there's a lot of challenges financially health-wise, and, and even more recently, I think there was some threat to the, like, uh, people were asking for the father's name, like, is so-and-so around? Where can I find so-and-so? Right? You know, I think, I think officials. And so things got, like, really kind of dicey, uh, and stuff, but no news, right? They, they had a lawyer, you know, who was processing, and they were, they were calling and all that kind of stuff. And so finally, um, you know, uh, more recently, Pastor Johnny and Eunice, uh, there was a birthday in the family. So they took them out to like lunch or dinner or something. And they were like talking and praying and they were struggling, of course, admittedly. right, and stuff. But they weren't giving up. Right. They, they've waited this long and we were encouraging them, you know, hold on. You know, God might do something. It turns out that uh, in the church in Canada, there is like some member of parliament that attends there. And uh, the person got involved with the process and found out where things stood. And then I think a couple of days ago, the approval came through. Right? So they were overjoyed. They were so blessed. They were so thankful that God answered their prayers. And like, imagine that seven years plus all the persecution before that, waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and, and basically clinging to God in the spider-thin web of hope that he might relocate them, that this might go through. And then, like, you know, they had friends, they knew people that got an interview, let's say, like, six months after they did, and then the approval came in one month, right? So usually the response time is a little bit faster, but, you know, no news was, like, bad news. That's what it felt like. But, you know, seeing their... Faith, seeing their hope, seeing their endurance, that I thought uh, it was really inspiring right, to me. To, to, to know that I am in solidarity, that God answered our prayers, you know, that this he worked through them is, is really um, yeah, helpful uh, uh, to me. Right? You know, Peter alludes to this again at the end of his letter in chapter 5-9 when he's exhorting his readers to stand firm against the devil because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Because others are standing firm, Peter's saying you too can stand firm in solidarity with them. Think about it. Many have endured before us. There are those right here and now uh, who are enduring around us and with us, and many more will endure after us yeah, if we're willing to share the hope that we have. Amen. So... Uh, as we finish up today, I thought we could just use the the nine, believe it or not, nine message titles and chapters, like at a glance, to kind of think about the classic Christian virtues that we've been covering: faith, hope, and love. So there they are. The first three are about faith, 
you know, it came from you know, James 2, right, about faith and works. Mark 5 was about the bleeding woman and Jairus. John 6 was about Jesus and the bread of life. Genesis 29 was about Jacob's love for Rachel. Second Chronicles 6 was about Solomon building the temple. Luke 10, Good Samaritan. Second Kings 18, Sennacherib and Hezekiah, right? And then Acts 17, Paul. And today, Peter. Peter and endurance inspired by hope. Let's pray together.